right, guys. Once again, I'm live on a digital road trip in Ronda the Honda. And this week, my guest is Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria, welcome. Thank you, Drew. It's a pleasure to be here. It is great to have you. So I was introduced uh, to your ministry a few years back through your writing. And your first book is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And in that story, uh, you chronicle your conversion. Would you mind, for those who aren't familiar with your story, would you mind just walking us through how you came to know Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. I had about 500 meals at the home of a neighbor who loved me and cared for me and wasn't afraid of me and um, winsomely and consistently shared the gospel over and over again. And um, I was writing a book on the religious right and I thought, wow, this guy's fantastic. He's my new unpaid research assistant. And so I started reading the Bible for a different purpose. And then at a certain point, the word of God became bigger inside me than I. Hmm. And that's it. What was it that characterized your life before Christ? Um, oh, idolatry and um, pride. And um, I, I'm going to say a certain fear of um, male authority and anything connected to patriarchy. And so I, I lived very happily as a lesbian and I was a professor at Syracuse and my, 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 my training is in English literature, but I also was uh, jointly appointed in women's studies and back in the day, what was called gay and lesbian studies. I taught courses in queer theory and, um, so, you know, I would just say a, a, just a, a, a real sense that if I'm going to end run my life, if my life is going to be miserable, I want it to be at my own hand and not somebody else's. So what was it? You said that the Bible became bigger inside of you than you were. What specific themes in the Bible led you to actually give up your old lifestyle for following Christ. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, I was reading, I'm an English professor, right? And so I could be the chairperson of Over Readers Anonymous. I was not raised to be an evangelical, so I didn't know you're supposed to like read it like a verse a day in whatever order you want. You know, I tell people, don't try to read Jane Eyre that way because it won't work either. You know what I mean? So, so I just sat down and read the Bible. And then I did that seven more times. And something happens when you just sit down and read the Bible. And that is that uh, a lot of things become majestically, poetically impossible to dodge. One is original sin. Um, because if you're just reading a verse a day in Genesis, it might not seem like a bloodbath. But if you actually just sat down and read Genesis, you would realize that the minute that, that Adam sinned, the world became a bloodbath. I mean, and the footprints start in the garden. And, um, and so that really forced me to think about my own life, especially my life as a lesbian. Um, I, I started to really wonder, is, 
is gay who I am, which is what I just thought, right? Um, or is gay how I am because of original sin? And it was really just a question, you know, because I'm trying to write a book that explains why the religious right has no right to consider this authoritative and certainly, you know, keep your book off my body kind of bumper sticker approach. But I, so I had to, I had to keep a running dialogue with my own heart on these matters. And so that would be one of them. Um, the other very powerful thing though, is the idea of, of who Jesus is. And, and Jesus is presented in both the Psalms and the gospel and the gospels. So you see the suffering of Christ in the Psalms and you see the life of Christ in the gospels. And at a certain point, I, regardless of how I felt and regardless of what the temperature was going on in my heart, it seemed to me that Jesus was truly who he says he is. And that would mean that when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light for everyone who follows him, that would be true for me also. And, and that was really, um, that was really compelling. And the other thing that was compelling was this church community, people who um, had all the reason in the world to be afraid of me, to despise me. Um, I, I had co-authored the first domestic partnership policy at Syracuse. That's the forerunner for gay marriage, you know, but that's not what they did. That's not what they did at all. Um, and they consistently put the gospel before me. And what by, by that, what I mean is that they lived the gospel and then we would eat together. And at the end of every meal, you know, the dishes would go away. The little kids would take the dishes and there'd be a Bible presented in front of me. And, you know, Ken Smith would say, open the Bible too. And that's what we would do. And, and so it, 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 it and it was, it wasn't just, they weren't just doing it for the, you know, the, the sinner at the table. This is what they would do. You know, and, and there was something really amazing because I'm at this point I was part of the gay rights community in New York in the 90s. Um, you know, we had a, a global pandemic going on then too called HIV, and and my house was also given to hospitality. We would have dinner parties, we would have you know folks in and out, but it never ended with peace. There was something about the way that these Christians would take all the problems of the day and all the issues. And when Ken Smith started reading the Bible and we sang a psalm and we prayed and he would just say, well, we're leaving this at the feet of Jesus now. And, and, and you know, basically go in peace. Mm -hmm. Well, who in the world can go? How can you go in peace? The only, you know, and so it, those were some of the things. Another big question was just this reality that um, if God is the creator of all things, um, including me, then he did have the authority to, to judge my life and not the other way around. And I, I did wonder because, you know, I'm a, usually known to be a pretty courageous thinker. I'm, I'm, I'm not terribly afraid to be wrong. I used to have a stickum on my desk that says I'd rather be wrong on an important, right than, important point than right on a trivial one. And I still feel that way. Um, and I thought, you know, I wonder, do I really want to know what God has to say about homosexuality or, or do I just want to argue with him? I mean, I have a PhD in arguing. Can't I use my gifts? You know, <laughs> well, you know so it was just constant, you know, the, the, the gospel, uh, you know, certainly the gospels were powerful, but the whole Bible, it was, it truly was clobbering me. And so now, you know, jump 20 years later, when I hear gay Christians talk about six clobber verses, I'm thinking six? 
You guys only came up with six? We got, we've got some math problem here because you, we all, Christians, we all should be clobbered by every single you know, word of this book, not six. Mm. So, so that, that would just be a, you know, and obviously we could go on and on on that one, but that's a. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just um, pause on one thing that you said, you talked about original sin Mm -hmm. and I've heard you discuss sort of the competing views to this anthropology that says that we are all in Adam. Can you explain the danger of not starting your worldview with original sin? Right. Yeah. Well, it'd be the danger of not starting your worldview in reality because Mm. original sin that helps us explain why evil is in the world and why evil is in our hearts, even hearts of people who have been redeemed. You know, Galatians 5.16 says that you, there's a war so that you don't do what you want to do, right? Romans 7, 20-ish says, um, you know, why do I do? Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do? It is the law of sin in me. And so, so I, you know, I, I had always heard sin as almost like a, kind of a moralizing category, um, um, you know, basically like sort of things not to do. But the idea that you could actually be born in the trajectory of sin, original sin, once you act on it, you commit actual sin. And if you're a repeat offender, and by repeat offender, all I mean is you do what you want to do. That's all that's that's all original sin is. It's not it's not anything super glamorous. You just do what you want to do. And you keep doing what you want to do. And after it becomes a pattern, it becomes indwelling sin. And then you don't try to lock the doors of the house because the robber is here, not not there. And and, and that, that seemed to be the most logical explanation for any number of social issues that I cared about as an unbeliever and that I care about today. Abuses against the people who can't defend themselves, um, the you know the betrayal of parents against their children and 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 husbands against their wives. I, I I care as much today about those things as I did then. I just have a toolkit now, and I have a frame. And even better than that, I can appeal to a holy God, and I can pray for people who can't pray for themselves yet just as other people did for me. So, so that's it. I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's reality. I mean, if you want to be somebody who actually is a change agent in the world, which I do, I want to be that. I'm, I still want to be that. Then you need to know, you need to be in reality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Christians are not just people who, who, you know, share a bunch of superstitions and chant, you know, affirmations about those superstitions uh, you know, to the walls of a building. Hmm. We, we are appealing to the God of the universe to, um, to shield, protect, bless, help, guide this entire world. 
And, and it, and it's, you know, it's, it, it is mind boggling because, you know, how does a finite person interact with the, you know, an infinite being and a loving infinite being a perfect, a holy being like God, but, you know, to realize that part of my finiteness means what, what comes up in my vision is not what I need. You know, I see all the arrows that are flying at me. I don't see the fact that truly God has more shields for me than the world has arrows. But those are some of the things that scripture teaches you. But I would say only if you are reading it like the deep well that it is. You know, there's this lovely book by A.W. Pink called Profiting from the Word. And he says something in there. It's one of, you know, two books you just kind of every couple of years you have to reread it. This is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, I'm in my reread phase right now. Like, oh yeah. He says, you know, the Bible will curse you if you read it in the wrong way. It mm -hmm. will be a curse to you, not a, it's not a neutral thing. And so to, to make sure that you, as you're reading the word of God, that you are truly submitted to it, that it is clobbering you all mm -hmm. the time. Um, so that you can appeal to God and grow in Christ and, mm -hmm. um, and, and have a wider vision on things. But yeah, I, it came, it, I just, it, at a certain point, if, if, um, you know, Rousseau says that we are all born good and in the world, there are chains, all right? And I, I believed that I was Rousseauian for years, but at a certain point, reality interferes with that. If everybody is born good, where did, you know, where do dictators come from? Mm. You know, yeah. and, and, if, and if everybody can be rehabilitated, what about the people who don't? Mm. And if everybody is good and I should just open my world to everybody, what does justice mean? So, yeah, that's so, yeah, that, it so resonates with me because, you know, I grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. and uh, grew up part of a, a church family where there wasn't an acknowledgement of sin mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of of hiding was going on mm -hmm. and I was um, feeling condemned I mean I would go to church and the kind of the basic message was love your neighbor as yourself and mm -hmm. I would sit there and, and think is there anyone else here who finds that to be condemning, not freeing? Right. I, I can't love my neighbor as myself. Right. And I, I came to uh, Romans 5 when I was in college. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Right. But by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it's in Adam, we're condemned. Right. But can, can you frame in kind of the second half of that verse? How does original sin become part of the good news? Because, and here's, here's part of the reason I'm asking you this, Rosaria, is something that I have just laughed out loud at about your ministry is that you have this freedom. I mean, in, in your book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlucky Convert, for example, you're like, and I was left with just my dog. And you'll say stuff like, if 
if your sin doesn't feel good, then you're not doing it right. And you need a coach. <laughs> and, and so there's this seriousness about sin, right? but you also have a light heart. How does Christ give you a light heart when you believe something that is in the world's eyes, certifiably crazy? Right, right, A couple right. people ate some fruit and it condemned the whole world. Right, 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 right. right. Well, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, even unbelievers don't think I'm certifiably crazy when we just kind of take a peek out there. Like, where'd that mm -hmm. come from? Okay, it had to come from someplace. So, I mean, right. you, gotta, you know, I don't know. But what I would say is that I, I'm not... Um, you know, I, I'm part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. I believe that God has already set apart a people for himself. And many of those people look like, like the person I used to be. Many of those people are in communities that good Christians are afraid to enter into. God's already done the work. We just need to show up. Hmm. And you know, we've talked before about college ministry, and I can't tell you how many college students I have spoken to over the years who are just on the verge of leaving the church because of, you know, perceived hypocrisy and what about my gay friends? And it just the list goes on. And, I, you know, I never try to talk people into staying in the church. I just say, well, look, if you're going to leave, leave with integrity. And in order to leave with integrity, mm -hmm. you've got to get these questions answered which means you need to commit yourself to sitting down with your pastor and your elders for at least six months, because that's how long it's going to take to answer these questions. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just, I think that what's, what happens sometimes is Christians take on the role of cheerleader. That's ridiculous. Um, we don't need to do that. I think we can just, you know, acknowledge that, that God has, has set apart a people for himself the Holy Spirit is working on changing hearts. We need to pray. We need to fast and pray to um, a, a, a number of things. But one is that we'll show up in their lives because the Holy Spirit is not going to do what we do. So it's good to listen to people. It's good to have, you know, and it's good to help people understand that sin isn't just a matter of doing the things you know feels wrong. If that were the case, we, you know, that's a no-brainer. Sin mm -hmm. is doing the things you love that God mm -hmm. doesn't love for you. And every human being is born loving something that God hates. So mm -hmm. that's why, you know, what, what makes homosexuality different from other sins is, um, well, two things. One is sexual sin tends to be different because it, sexual sin becomes an identity because of the nature of intimacy, but more importantly than that, I think, is that this happens to be a sin with a civil rights group backing it right now. And that scares a bunch of people. So stop being scared. You know, and how do you stop being scared? You, you, you draw deeply from the word of God. Draw, the Lord tells you to not be scared, but he doesn't tell you to not be scared because it's not scary out there. It's terribly scary out there. I mean, open your eyes. He says, don't be scared because he knows he's got more shields than the world has arrows. And you need to know it too. Um, but I appreciate it. I, I've gotten, you probably know this because you know, you're know you on the internet. I, I get into just a boatload of trouble with, with fundamentalists for saying these things. Um, I mean, I have people- I love it. I have people who do not understand that that, that lengthy list at the end of a book 
it's supposed to be alphabetized. It's not actually listed in the order of, of theological allegiance. I mean, these are the things. So the only reason you get my jokes, I think, is that you don't have a reading comprehension problem. But I have learned that I just, I just need to watch it because I am very easily misunderstood, often misunderstood. And, you know, I mean, at a certain point, you know, I'll have the fundamentalists calling me uh, a lesbian plant in the conservative church. Um, Jonathan Merritt at USA Today calling me, you know, an ex-gay, you know, hater of all gay people. And then, you know, then I've got my friends in the PCA who, you know, just think I'm a general meanie because I don't think gay Christianity is legit. So anyway, and that can all happen in the same day. So well, let it let it be said. I say, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So <laughs> let me let me add that voice to the mix. Thank while you. I've got you on the, Thank you. on the Zoom call. Yeah. What in is you know as you get up in the morning and you read the word now. Yeah. It, it's repentance. Yeah. In, in your life is not a crisis anymore. It's not a train wreck anymore in the same way that it was. It always is a little bit, right? Oh no, but, I think it is. Yeah. What is what does it look like for you now to read the Bible and allow it to do work on you? Right, right. I, as a I, mature I, Christian. Yeah. I'd say as a mature Christian, the stakes are higher. I would say that my sins, my unrepented sins are more egregious to my Lord today than 20 years ago, because I have walked with him for these 20 years and, um, and I know him and I know my, my, the depths of my own heart. I could, I have much more to destroy today than I did 20 years ago. So I would say it's more severe. Um, and, and that is something that truly, um, it's probably the most terrifying thing to me in the world is not, it's not being sinned against, but it's sinning. Um, because really, truly, you know, in about 30 seconds, we could all, you know, all of us here on this call could just, you know, we could destroy our ministries, destroy, destroy our marriages, destroy our families, destroy the reputation of Christ. And it could take about 30 seconds. So I think about that. The stakes feel very high to me. Um, I, I, you know, I, and I'd say especially, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic, um, God is roaring into six of seven continents. If Christians are not leading, modeling what repentance looks like, and what right thinking looks like, we are betraying our Lord. So we have no business, no business uh, calling for national repentance if our personal repentance isn't evident. I mean, pretty much being a Christian means publicly repenting, publicly washing a lot of stinky feet, and publicly turning the other cheek every minute of every day. And if somehow you've got some notion that being a Christian means being a gifted blah, 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 you, you know, please just take a seat because at this moment, we can't have that. 
Mm. Yeah, I think fake Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. And and what a a temptation there is in public ministry yes. to start to pose. And I, I was actually listening to the most recent lecture that you did on uh, your website, which has something to do with identity. I don't remember the exact title of the article, but or the the lecture. But but the point that you were making in that lecture was that you can't have dual identities as a Christian. And so you were specifically addressing having a gay Christian identity. But I was listening to that lecture and something that I was convicted of is that I can often identify myself as a pastor Christian. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I actually just got on my knees in my bedroom and, and had to repent of that because I can so easily become the Pharisee that loves the approval of man more than the glory that comes from God. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. And we can stay in our safe zones. But I think the beginning of Psalm 31 is a clear, um, I, I heard I heard Barry York, who's a, a pastor in, in my denomination and the president of our seminary once say that, you know, we are to repent of our very best deeds, lest they become idols. Mm. And mm. I've always thought about that. So especially those of us who um, have the misfortune of having any kind of public, uh, you know, voice, um, don't take yourself seriously. Your, your gifts are filthy rags. Uh, God gave it to you. He can take it away at any minute. Um, you know, do the work that God's given to you. Um, but, but especially in a prosperity culture, and even if, even if we're in a solid, you know, church, there's, you know, we've, we Americans have lived with just, you know, enough prosperity that would make the king of Babylon envious. Mm. How do we think that we're not, you know, that we're not in some way being tarnished by this, that we aren't being manipulated by this um, so yeah just we cannot take that seriously we are all um the hands and feet of jesus and we need to move quickly between you know literally washing dirty feet and um giving a lecture preaching a sermon um getting on our knees spending a lot of time on our knees um, mm. and then this is the hard one thanking god for even the hardships he gives us Mm -hmm. I've just seen way too many Christians say, well, you know, God didn't, you know, basically like God didn't know about COVID-19, you know, this kind of, it kind of snuck in while he was, I don't know. You know? <laughs> oh no, a global <laughs> right. And it's ridiculous. No, you know what? It's not only, not only did God know about it, but he sovereignly appointed it as part of the providence for us because he so loved us that he thinks we can handle this. We can, we can handle right now the only lifeline that is legit in a world that is in a tailspin and panic. And, um, and so not only are we to accept this, we're to thank God for this. If I hear another sermon about how, you know, we shouldn't, you know, nobody would thank God for COVID-19 or, you know, um, 
no, this is, and why are we thanking God for it? Not because it's, not because it is good, but because it is the fire that will make us more like Christ. Mm, this yeah. is a refining fire. It's going to hurt if it hasn't already. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's such a good word. I, I can't believe the conversation is, is coming to a close. It's 12.30. But uh Hey, look, so I got to ask you, this is, this is a total whiplash moment, right? I, but I got to ask you the three questions that I asked every guest uh, to close. So, okay, this is totally, this is like a hard, a hard turn. But, um, <clears throat> okay, we're in the middle of this global pandemic. We're all in quarantine. We're like in this together. You're in North Carolina right now. I'm in, in Minneapolis. But if you could go to one public gathering, what would you go to and who would you go with? So concert, sporting event, restaurant, something. You could yeah. just pause the pandemic for four hours. What, what yeah. would you do? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to sabotage all your questions because that's what I do. Um, I wouldn't pause the pandemic and I would go to church because in 2020, civil disobedience means going to church, going to work and getting a haircut. So I would go to church. Nice. You totally did sabotage my question. Okay, this one's going to be harder to sabotage. If oh, you could okay. only eat, if you could only eat one food while you're quarantined, what would it be? Oh, grilled salmon with fresh garlic, and and um, and um, what else do I want? Arugula, please. Yeah. Arugula, nice. Very healthy. I like. I like the choice. Yes. And, okay. I know you love your family and are probably doing relatively well in, in quarantine with them. But if you could add one person from history to your quarantine, who would it be and why? Oh, I would add the Apostle Paul. Um, but I will tell you that we've been, we've been badly in quarantine. We've all gotten jobs as grocery delivery people. And if, if, you had, if I had Zoomed in two hours ago, I would have been in my Toyota Sienna soaking wet with my daughter because we've just spent the morning delivering groceries in the rain. So, I, nice. I, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, like, yeah. In fact, I need to get to quarantine so I can get some of my writing done, but no, I, I we're just- Things are picking up for you. Well, no, I mean, I would say that right now in a quarantine, um, there are a lot of people who are just panicked, lonely, frightened, mm -hmm. Christians who are falling into sin patterns they could not even believe they're falling into. I would say that gospel comes with a house key was Christian hospitality with training wheels. COVID-19 mm. took the training wheels off. COVID-19 mm. is not going to overcome the world. Christ will, but Christians need to, you know, responsibly um, make sure that we, we know how, how people are suffering in real time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, such a good word. Rosaria, I asked you before we started the conversation, if you would end um, by leading us in repentance by singing Psalm 51 for us. All right, I'm going to hit mute on mine because no one wants to hear me sing. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll pray after you're done singing. I'm looking forward to this. I'm singing from uh, the book of Psalms for worship, which is what we use in our, uh, in our worship. From my sins, oh, hide your face, my iniquities erase, oh, my God, renew my 
cast me not from you, I pray, nor your Holy Spirit take. Give salvation's joy again, and a willing mind sustain. Then your perfect ways I'll show, that transgressors may them know. Sinners are converted then, turning back to you From blood guiltiness, O oh God, set me free, my Savior God. Then my tongue will joy express, singing of your righteousness. Open now my lips, O Lord, from my mouth will praise be poured. Sacrifice you will not take, or the offerings I would make. Offerings burnt bring no delight, but a broken heart contrite. God's accepted sacrifice, you, O God, will not despise. Prosper Zion in your grace, build Jerusalem's walls in place, then will sacrifices right, offerings burnt bring you delight, then will men their vows to pay, bulls upon your altar lay. Thank you so much, Rosario. Let me pray for us as we close up here. Um, Father God, we uh, thank you for your servant, uh, Rosaria. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 51. And the opportunity that you've given us in this unique time in our lives to see and repent of our sin. Mm -hmm. And God, I ask that, that that would be the effect that this conversation would have in people's lives and in their hearts, that they would be um, led to see your kindness in such a way that they repent and turn away that we all do from our sin back to you, Jesus. Pray this all in, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll hope to see you next week on the podcast. <laughs>